Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military, from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Swaitaj with us. He is an Army family physician currently holding the rank of Colonel and has had a myriad of professional positions and appointments over his career. He is currently the Market Assistant Director for Clinical Operations and Chief Medical Officer for the San Antonio Market under the Defense Health Agency. Uh, to me, that's a pretty large title with a whole lot of cool information and having reviewed his um, resume once already before the start of this, he's got a lot of things he can share with us in a pretty major career that's covering, I think, the span to include reserve time, sir, something like uh, uh, tw- 20 plus years, if, if I'm Am correct? Does that seem right? Yes, it's 23, including my time at USU. Wow. So we're happy to have you on the podcast and love to get some more information about you and stuff like that. So I guess the first question we always ask, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, medical school, anything like that. Absolutely. And, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, so I, I originally came from Northeastern New Jersey, right outside New York City. Uh, born, raised there, uh, went to college in Allentown, Pennsylvania at Muhlenberg College, where I majored in biochemistry. And uh, from there, actually went directly to medical school to the Uniform Services University uh, and did that for, for my medical school time. Uh, upon coming out, I did a, an internship in neurology at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, um, spent some time operationally working with uh, an attack helicopter squadron, and then went back and did my family medicine residency at Fort Belvoir. Uh, from there, um, did some time with special operations, and then I've been in various kind of, you know, healthcare leadership positions ever since. Um, on the personal side, I'm married. I have four children. Uh, my oldest is actually in college. He's 20, and then my youngest is 11. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is always important is to to include the family piece of it because both as physicians as well as military officers, that balance between work and home slash family life is absolutely essential and something that everybody always needs to keep in 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 the forefront of their their thoughts at all times. Absolutely, yeah. Um, as somebody that's currently trying to develop his family, it's certainly on my mind quite a bit, especially when choosing specialties where I'm going to. Uh, uh, you know, do my residency, how I'm going to rank uh, my residencies during the application. Family has been very, very important consideration. Of course, not the only consideration, but a very important one. Absolutely. So I, I think, like you've already mentioned, you've got quite a storied history. I kind of wanted to, uh, I was curious, you did a neurology internship, and then uh, it sounds like you you went and did a GMO tour first and then came back for residency. Yeah, so I, um, you know, my my thoughts on specialties changed a lot while I was in med school. I actually went to medical school wanting to be a trauma surgeon um, because I had been an EMT prior to medical school and I, I was trauma certified as an EMT. Um, but, you know, I got to medical school and um, neuroanatomy class, uh, I felt was really incredibly interesting. Um, and I love learning about all the different spinal tracts and how they connect everything and how the nervous system worked. And 
Um, I actually, while I was at USU, I helped start a student interest group in neurology with one of the neurologists that Walter Reed, who was also on the USU faculty. And so I spent a lot of time shadowing him and, and I got really interested in neurology. Um, and, and actually, uh, at the time I applied to neurology with the thoughts of becoming a pediatric neurologist or child neurologist. Um, however, in late in my fourth year of medical school, I did an elective rotation in neurosurgery because I figured if I'm going into neurology, I should know something about neurosurgery. And it kind of rekindled my interest in surgery, which, you know, I loved. And so I, I went into my internship, which although I was a neurology intern, I was a categorical child neurology intern. Um, and the nice thing about that was the requirements for my internship. I had to do six months of internal medicine rotation to be a neurology intern with a month of ER, but then the rest of my time was basically, I could make whatever I want. And so I ended up essentially doing a MedPeds internship under the title of neurology. And because at that point, I was still kind of unsure whether I wanted to go the neurosurgical route or whether I wanted to, you know, stay in straight neurology. Um, I, I decided I opted to go out and do a GMO tour because I was already a flight surgeon. I had obtained that credential when I was in med school. And so I went out to do that. And, and frankly, while I was out there, um, you know, starting in a small base, a small bit base in Korea, and then moving to Fort Hood, I, I started taking care of the, 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 the service members and the soldiers and, and the pilots in the unit and and doing that kind of work. And uh, it's many instances got to take care of their families as well. And I realized that my, my desire uh, was to do more operational time and lead and um, also take care of families. And so uh, that's what led me back to family medicine as a residency, um, given the, the flexibility in the career for family docs. It's probably the specialty with the most flexibility of what you can do in your career. Um, and also afforded me the opportunities of kind of jobs and, and assignments that I was interested in. And that's how I ended up coming back and doing family medicine. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty storied. So uh, I do kind of have a question because it, uh, I always like to hear from physicians that did the GMO tour, because that seems to be the thing that every medical student tries to avoid, um, uh, you know, is ending up doing that, that dreaded GMO tour. But then every physician I talk to that did a GMO tour always says they have no regrets about having done it and said that that, that really developed them as a physician. Do you have any particular opinions about being a GMO and your experience as one? So I certainly have no regrets. Um, I'll be honest, it was initially quite scary because, you know, I went from internship and I went out to Korea where I was on a remote base with about 550 service members and I was the only doctor. And I had, I had a, a clinic about 15 minutes down the road that could do basic lab testing, um, long, you know, uh, long bone plain film x-rays, and an EKG, and that was about it. And that's about all I had. Um, and so initially it was, was that, but I absolutely agree that it, it developed me far more, both as a physician, but also taught me a lot about the army, which I think is essential. Uh, and it, you know, I, I mean, you spent a year independently practicing. So when I went back, or I spent two years, when I went back to residency, I was already more efficient than my colleagues because I had already been practicing for two years. 
And when it came to anything army related, like profiling, medical boards, um, dealing with commands and everything, I became basically the, the consultant for all my fellow residents because I knew that stuff and I had been there and done that. Um, and I even took the opportunity during our didactic sessions to, to teach them those kinds of things. Um, and so I think it helped immensely. Um, the, the one challenge of GMO is that um, it can be hard coming back to residency depending on what residency you want to do. Uh, so there are, there are some that, you know, family medicine and pediatrics, emergency medicine, internal medicine, you know, it's not uncommon that they have somebody that's a GMO that comes back and does a residency with them at some point. Um, but if you're trying to do some of the surgical things, it can be, it can be difficult sometimes to actually get into those residencies as a GMO. So that's just one thing to consider. Okay. Um, so it, it sounds like overall for you though, this was a very, very positive experience and really helped you kind of like fit into your own, I guess, as, and kind of like find your niche within, um, your residency program. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a great experience. I mean, I still, uh, I still talk to my, my old battalion commander from that, from my GMO time. And, um, you know, it actually has, um, you know, provided connections that have helped me with, you know, attaining positions and jobs I've wanted in the past. So it's, it's a great thing. And, and I can't uh, over overstate the importance of actually learning about the army, um, you know, and, and actually learning about how the army operates and learning about all the personnel stuff and the intel and the operations and the logistics and all those kinds of things, which, you know, is, is not something that we normally get taught as physicians in the military, but it's something that when you deploy or you spend time with the unit, um, you know, they're going to expect that you have some basic knowledge. So it was great. But again, if you know what you want to do for sure, um, the best thing is to go straight into residency, because like I said, you can be difficult sometimes to get back and you can kind of get lost in the GMO world. But if not taking a, taking a knee and doing a GMO tour for, for one, two, maybe three years is, is, is not a bad thing at all. Okay. I do want to ask you more about your residency, but there is actually a follow-up question. When you say uh, lost in the GMO world, is, is it possible for somebody to like maintain their entire military career and say even do 20 years with only having that internship and being a GMO, or is that something that's kind of unheard of? Um, can you do it? Yes. But where it will impact you is promotions and job assignments, because um, really you can be a GMO at a battalion and maybe a brigade level, but anything above that, you're going to have to be board certified or board eligible. And really for any promotions beyond major, you need to be board certified or board eligible to be considered for uh, the promotion. So could you in theory do it? Yes, but you're going to basically, you would stay essentially a brigade surgeon for your entire career, um, okay. which from, I know for most people is not what they want. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anybody goes goes into uh, military medicine thinking they just want to be a GMO their entire 20. But I was always kind of curious about that. And I think some people uh, may have at least had that, that that question sitting in the back of their mind. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, I wouldn't recommend it either. Of course, uh, uh, the thing that I was always told is that, you know, that the military isn't a, a lifetime anyways. Eventually, they're going to kick you out either way. 
So having, having yourself set up for the civilian sector is still very important. Yes. Uh, in terms of residency, I was wondering if you, and I know it's, it's been a while since you did your training, but I was wondering if you would uh, comment on what the, I guess on a high level, what your training looked like on the day-to-day -day and some of the things that you enjoyed about your family medicine residency training. You said you did it at Fort Belvoir, correct? I did. Um, I did it at the old Fort Belvoir Hospital, not the new one. Um, day to day, it, a lot of it depended on what rotation you were on. Um, I mean, if you were just on an outpatient family medicine, your day to day was seeing family medicine clinic. Um, if you were on the inpatient rotation, your day to day, you know, you come in, you'd pre-round in the morning and then you'd round with the staff and then you'd, you know, take care of the patients, admit and discharge through the day. Um, kind of check out with the staff at the end of the day and, and go home. Um, you know, and that's kind of the same for any inpatient rotation, whether you're on regular inpatient medicine or ICU or whatever. Um, and then, you know, we did surgical rotations. So we'd spend time in the operating room. Um, we did um, labor and delivery rotations because we had a minimum number of deliveries we had to get in order to graduate residency. So, you know, when you're on that shift, you're basically just you know, managing women in labor and delivering babies all day. Um, so it really, it really um, depends on what rotation you are on. The one, the two kind of cons different things for family medicine than a lot of other residencies is we were required to have a continuity clinic. And so no matter what rotation we were on, we were required to do a certain number of clinics each month um, to see the patients that were enrolled to us. So even if we were at an offsite rotation, we would have certain days that we would come back for a half day or for an evening and do a clinic. Um, and then we also had to have um, uh, obstetric patients that we followed from basically the day they were found to be pregnant until six weeks after having the baby. Uh, we were required to have 10 of those. And so when we had those, regardless of what rotation you were on, if they went into labor, you actually came in and delivered the baby. So. Um, that was a little bit of, of kind of the difference with family medicine than some of the others. But other than that, again, it, it really, you know, depended on what rotation you were on, where you were working, who your staff was as to what your day-to-day -day was. Okay. Um, from the military residency perspective, do you feel like they, uh, that the army kind of geared training again towards that army mission or that there were things that were very different from, uh, from the civilian sector in terms of family medicine residency training? No, I think the family medicine residency training was essentially equivocal. And you can see the results of that. And if you look at our board pass rates, mm -hmm. um, which are, you know, a lot of times actually better than the civilian sector. Um, in terms of military specific training, when I went through um, all those years ago, there wasn't much, but there has been an effort to put some of that in uh, since then. Um, we, we had, we started a little bit of it. We had a, what we call military unique curriculum, which was a set of like, you know, um, uh, lectures and stuff that we had to sit through that, that was more military focused. Um, but it's a little bit more now than it was then. And, you know, it's not uncommon now in a residency to have training on profiling and medical boards and some of those basic military medicine like topics. Um, but it's, um, uh, there's, there's always going to be more to learn um, no matter what. It's impossible to fit everything in with all the requirements from 
you know, ACGME and the RRCs in order to graduate a residency. So, uh, but we, you know, we, we, I think we do a pretty good job uh, in terms of getting at least the, the basic core stuff that you need to know to be a, a functional unit surgeon coming out of residency, if that's where they send you. That makes sense. Yeah, I think I, I think there's always uh, not necessarily concerns, but always some curiosity um, because when you think about operational medicine, you know, does does the residency do anything that kind of gears towards operational medicine or feeling prepared for that? And I think mentioning med boards and stuff like that, while that's not necessarily operational medicine, I think that's very important. And I think even in the civilian sector, you're still learning similar things, but they're just more applicable to that work environment that you would be spending your time in, you know, those more, I don't want to say paper pushing, but that the, the bureaucratic side of things that keeps all the, the wheels or oiled, so to speak. Yeah. And I'll stay on the operational side. Um, two things. One, I've never heard an operational leader say anything different than the fact that number one above and beyond everything you're there to be the best doctor you can be um, and take care of the unit. So that's number one. Um, so, you know, you're going to that job because of your medical skills and your professionalism. And if there's stuff you need to learn to do the job on the army side, either they'll teach it to you or you'll find somebody in the leadership of the unit to kind of, you know, partner with. So when I went to aviation, you know, even though I was a flight surgeon, I was with an attack aviation unit and they had all kinds of acronyms and things that I had never heard before. And I became good friends with our, our S3, our operations uh, officer. And I would stand next to him when we did different briefings and things. And if somebody said, you know, hey, we're going to take ABF one, I'd lean over to him and say, what's ABF? And he'd say, oh, it's attack by fire. And, you know, then he'd, he'd explain to me what that actually was. And so, um, you know, you, you can, you'll get, and you'll pick up because, because everybody that makes it to be a military physician is incredibly intelligent person capable of learning at a rapid rate. You'll pick up the military pieces you need to do the job. As long as you come in and be the best doctor you can be, you're going to be very successful in an operational environment. Yeah. That, that good old fashioned OJT. Um, yep. So when I was in Bullock, actually, that was something they brought up a lot. And I, I, I guess I, I'll get your opinion on it. Um, of course, the the people teaching us at Bullock aren't physicians, but they, they brought up that a lot of times, like their battalion surgeon, or I guess at the time it was a different way of assigning the, I guess, I think they changed it from Profis to I think the new program is MAP for assigning physicians, but uh, they yes. would always say like, oh, we got the new guy that comes in. He doesn't know anything and just gets in the way. And like, he just ends up being the guy in the background. And the, like, they seem to almost have this feeling of like, um, not, not necessarily resentment, but a, a feeling of like, ah, this guy just in the way, doesn't know what he's doing. And I guess a part of that is kind of in how we're trained, but they also said like, oh, they're the good ones too, but they didn't really explain like uh, how that person got to be that good one and stuff like that. And from, your resume, something tells me that you would be considered one of the good ones. I didn't know if you had any more specific advice on how we can avoid being that person that's just in the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't comment on their thoughts, obviously, but right. um, 
the big piece is it, it, it honestly is like anything really in life. It's what you make of it. And so if you go in there and you show an interest in the unit and you show an interest in learning what the unit does and you're asking people questions and you're participating in unit activities, things like that, um, you, you're, they're going to be very, very happy with you. If you go in there and you're like, I don't want to be here, but they put me here and all you do is see clinic and you don't do anything with the unit and you don't show any interest in what the unit does and about learning what the unit does. I mean, it, it's, it's like anything. I mean, it's like anything. If you go somewhere to, you go to a job and you don't show interest in it, then, you know, you're not going to be a top performer and people are going to recognize that. But if you go and you show the interest, people are going to know that. And the more interest you show, the more they'll be willing to work with you and, 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 get you up to speed on all of the military stuff that you need to know. Yeah, that makes sense. So from the perspective of us young medical students kind of pushing towards our consideration of our specialty and what we want to do maybe after residency, um, I'm curious what your favorite assignments were in terms of operational medicine or even just some of the duty stations you were stationed at and uh, anything that you would want to share that maybe a medical student wouldn't know is even out there because I've noticed that at least that I start doing homework and I start talking to all these different physicians in the military and their backgrounds and they start explaining all these cool jobs that they have that nobody has any clue about and even residents don't necessarily have a clue about that are going on that these specialties can do. So I didn't know if you had any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, um, most memorable places I've been were my overseas assignments, so, uh, Korea and Germany. Um, Korea was a little tough because I was uh, I was by myself. My family was in the U.S. Um, and Korea, they've really uh, decreased the number of positions there. So it's a little bit tougher to get to Korea than it used to be. Um, but I spent four years in Germany with my family and um, my kids talk about it every day. Um, and my wife talks about it every day. It was absolutely fantastic. Um you know, we, we did so much traveling. We had, had so much fun and, you know, half my family speaks German because of it and, uh, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I also was, had got the fortune of being stationed at West Point, um, where I was the Corps of Cadet Surgeon for, for uh, for a couple of years. And that was an, that's an incredible location that was also close to home for me. So that was uh, kind of nice for, for the kids. Um, I mean, in terms of jobs, uh, it, it's tough for me to say what my favorite job was because every one of them had their 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 goods and their bads. Um, I think you know my time in special operations was was unique. Um, I had a lot of autonomy and ability to do things. I traveled all around Europe. I went to Africa. I deployed to combat zones um, and got to see things that I never thought I would have seen and. And, and really got to um, do some really, really cool stuff. Um, but as you said, there are a lot of really cool jobs out there and, and it's, it's tough to know about them because they, a lot of these jobs don't publicize themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, this is where, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, I kind of talk to residents about not infrequently is mentorship. And, you know, this is where you need to find a couple of, of mentors in the army that, you know, have careers similar to what you are interested in 
that can tell you about these kinds of jobs. In fact, my my special operations job, I credited a hundred percent to um, you know, one of my my former mentors who, you know, put, you know, put in a great word for me with a number of people and and you know, um, they offered me the job and then originally they were gonna take it back because of family reasons I had, but he convinced them to give me a few days to figure it out and we were able to figure it out. Um, and it, it, it is, it was probably one of the best jobs, even in special operations that I had, because we had so much autonomy being a battalion by ourselves in Germany, but there's a lot of really cool jobs out there. There's jobs in the white house medical unit. There's jobs all over special operations. There's, um, you know, there's jobs with uh, army futures command where you're, you know, planning the, the future of battlefield medicine. Um, you know, there's hospital jobs, which are still very much needed. Uh, there's leadership jobs like I'm in now where you can you can go and actually get a, a additional training. And, and I didn't mention that earlier, but um, about five years ago, I took a, a break in my career and went to the Army Baylor graduate program in health and business administration and got my master's in business administration and master's in healthcare administration from Baylor University and got to spend a year out, up in Boston at Mass General Hospital working with the senior executives of the hospital for a year. So um, the, there are incredible, incredible opportunities out there on the training side and on the job side, but uh, you'll never know about them if you don't ask and you don't find those people that can, can clue you into them. Yeah, mentorship is such a huge deal for me personally, but that's exactly the reason I'm in medical school. It had a lot to do with the battalion surgeons I served with while I was enlisted and they made a huge difference in like kind of showing me the light, so to speak. Uh, so for your career, you've been in for, you said, 23 years. It's, uh, you've been and done so many different things. And I'm sure that's that's a part of the reason that you're still in the military is that excitement, and that change in, you know, the things that you do. But I guess I kind of want to hear in your words, what what's kind of kept you in the military all this time? Um, so it's a combination of things. One is the opportunities for the different jobs and the, the, the training that's available and, and things that you're able to do. Excuse me. But a, lar a large part of it for me also was, is the family support. Um, you know, I've some of my kids have had some significant medical issues and, um, you know, our, our health system is, is very high quality health system and our insurance uh, comes at the best price imaginable because we don't pay anything for it when you're active duty. And so, uh, you know, I, I've had kids that have been in the hospital for weeks on end. I've had kids that have been medevaced out of Germany, um, et cetera. And, you know, the, the system took fantastic care of us and took fantastic care of them. And, you know, that's, that's probably honestly, I think the biggest reason why I stayed, because there was a point in my career where I was really contemplating getting out. Um, you know, I had some people on the outside that wanted me to come work for them and I contemplated it, but the benefits and the, and the family environment and, you know, the unique thing about the army, as you know, being prior enlisted is everywhere you go, you're going to know somebody and mm -hmm. it, it holds true. I mean, I, I took a TDY to Fort Carson, Colorado a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in the PX and there's somebody at the table next to me that I know from prior assignments. <laughs> I mean, you just, 
you never know. And everywhere I go, I run into people and you rekindle friendships. Even after 15 years of not seeing each other, you re- it's like you pick up where you never let you, just where you left off. And, you know, um, we've got friends that we've made at every duty station that are lifelong friends that my wife talks to all the time that we go and visit and go on vacation with. And it's just, it, that environment is, is I, I think a, a big, big reason why I stayed in um, besides the fe- besides the job opportunities. And, and quite frankly, um, retiring from the military has a lot of benefits as well. And so the way that I looked at it was if I hit 10 years and I wasn't getting, and I decided to stay in and I was staying in for the full 20 at least because of the retirement benefits that you get as well, which are substantial. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'll be considering uh, when I come towards the end of my service commitment as well, um, because I'm on the old retirement plan as well. So if I do, then it's stay for 20 or nothing. So I got to I got to figure that out in the next coming years. Of course, my wife will have a lot to say about that. And we'll figure that out when we get there. Um, Absolutely. So kind of speaking about, you know, the way that your family was taken care of and stuff like that, as uh, you have a pretty significant uh, role within the DHA, I know a lot of people have some concerns about like how military healthcare is going to be delivered in the future. And I think a lot of students are concerned about, you know, the, the, uh, how their specialties might be impacted, or especially if they're joining HPS being don't even know what specialty they want yet. Um, what that kind of um, may look like, or I'm not asking for any specifics, but if you have any thoughts on how this market is kind of changing or even what you really work on, because I'm not even sure what uh, a market is in terms of the DHA. So anything you want to explain about that, I think would be grateful to all of our listeners to kind of like get a better understanding of what's happening. Sure. So, you know, the Defense Health Agency was created a number of years ago go um, as a way to, you know, kind of um, take some of the aspects of, of healthcare from the different services and, and put them more on kind of a, an even playing field. Um, it wasn't until uh, the 2017 National Defense Authorization Act came out from Congress that directed all the facilities to actually go under defense health agency control for what we call healthcare delivery. Um, it, it's still in progress. Not everybody is. We actually moved under DHA officially as a market this past July. And, and what the market means is we're taking uh, areas of geography that have multiple facilities in, in a relatively small area and establishing a governance structure at a market level as essentially an intermediary between the actual hospitals themselves or clinics and the defense health agency uh, with the charge of essentially oversight and, and uh, authority direction and control of the healthcare delivery in the, in the hospitals. Um, so I have oversight over essentially all clinical care in the San Antonio market, which includes Brook Army Medical Center, the Army facility, it includes Wilford Hall Inventory Surgical Center, the Air Force facility, and then a, a smattering of standalone clinics, both on and off post uh, around the city. Um, And, you know, while there are other people that actually directly run the day-to-day of the clinical piece, I still maintain um, some oversight over it and some authority to direct 
um, some of how it goes. Uh, but then I also directly run certain areas like our referral management and appointing cell. Um, I, I directly oversee quality, um, directly oversee healthcare informatics and a few things like that. But the defense health, the move to defense health agency has been long coming. There have been studies going back decade plus saying that we needed to do something because we, we've got three services that operate three very different medical systems. And there's valid reason for that because the services all have very unique missions that are, that are different. But in terms of actually delivering healthcare, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to be much different. And so the whole goal is, um, you know, synchronization, coordination, standardization of some things. Uh, for me being a primary care doctor, because um, I actually am also in my, my additional duty is I'm actually the primary care uh, lead for the Defense Health Agency. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're taking all three services, primary models of primary care, and merging them into one consistent model for the Defense Health Agency that's going to be present in all military clinics in the future. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the, the, the piece behind it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. There's pros and cons to this. And I don't really want to get into that. But, um, you know, I think um, from, the, from the things that I've seen and things that I've, I've done, um, we work very well as a market in, the, in San Antonio between the facilities. And, and um, we actually really, because of what's happened with downsizing of some of the facilities in Wolford Hall, going from a hospital to an ambulatory surgery center, we really wouldn't be able to function in San Antonio if we weren't a market because the facilities need to rely on each other for inpatient admissions and ER transfers and surgical scheduling, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think at least for us here locally, most of us are in agreement that it's a good thing. And uh, I'm happy to say that, that we're actually doing quite well in that arena right now. All right. Yeah, I won't I won't probe too much into that because definitely a lot of that stuff is still very, very much over my head and I don't understand the ins and outs of it. But I certainly think it's still valuable to have that insight. And I appreciate you uh, commenting kind of on how things are changing. Um, I guess we're kind of running uh, short on our time for our interview at this point. So I like to wrap it up. And as we already discussed, is uh, if you had to impart any words of wisdom to us future military physicians on uh, the beginning of our career or outlooks and things like that and what, what we should be doing, what would you impart on us? Sure. I'd say a couple things. Um, one is um, keep an open mind because I know a lot of people that in the early days of their career were, you know, I'm never going to do this kind of job, never going to do this kind of job. And then they find themselves in it and they love it. Um, again, every job is what you make of it. Um, I, I, very rarely ever hear from a military physician that they hated a job they had. Um, so keep an open mind to new possibilities and jobs you hadn't considered before. Um, keep an open mind to, you know, taking on a leadership role. Um, you know, one of the nice things about the army is you, you can, in some respects, drive your career the way you want to. If you want to be in academics, most of your career, you can do that. If you want to be in research, if you want to go the operational leadership route, you can bounce between them. So keep an open mind. Um, I guess the second piece, and probably the most important is remember, it's your career. 
And so actively manage your career. Um, if you sit back and wait for people to manage it for you, that's when you have the likelihood of getting, you know, not being thrilled with what you get. So if you know there's a job you want, communicate that. Make sure the people that do the assignments know that you're interested in that. Um, make sure that you're talking to them regularly about where you want to be and, and what, what other considerations you have. If there's a family consideration of, of being in a certain geographical area, I mean, they're never going to promise you anything. Uh, but I can tell you for sure they take that into consideration. And so um, be active, be an active manager of your career. Um, your evaluation reports are your own. So, you know, if you're not happy with the way they look, then ask the question. Um, make sure you manage your, your records and keep all that up to date for your boards and make sure you, you actively seek out jobs because that's how it happens. And, and I'll tell you, so I mentioned earlier, there's jobs in the White House Medical Unit. I interviewed for the White House Medical Unit uh, 10 years ago. And the only reason that I, I interviewed was because I had had a discussion with my consultant previously and, and said, hey, you know, I hear these, these jobs there. If something comes up, I'd be interested in it. And when it came up, he said, hey, Tim's interested in this. And he, he nominated me for it. And I got to interview. So, you know, you've got to keep those lines of communication open and actively manage your own career. Because uh, again, if you wait for somebody else to manage it for you, that's when, when people aren't happy. That makes sense. I've been told over and over and over again by multiple physicians, both in interviews and not in interviews in the military that have said like net, networking is a huge part of that. And uh, the idea of saying yes to everything or at least giving it an opportunity makes a big difference in what things become available and the experiences you get to have. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, say yes to everything, um, but <laughs> okay. communicate. So I'll be honest. So I, I was offered a job at one point. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I had been in command uh, of a clinic in Germany. I had been in charge of a clinic at West Point and I was offered a position as a, a deputy commander at a facility that really was just an outpatient clinic. And, um, you know, I looked at it. Uh, I considered it. I looked at it. I did some research online and I went back to branch and I said, Hey, you know, this really isn't all that different from what I've already done in my career. I was kind of hoping to get a facility that had inpatient that had surgery, you know, so I could broaden my experience and my knowledge base. And they came back and said, you're right. This is not the right assignment for you. Scratch this. We're going to find something else. Um, and they did. So again, you know, having those honest conversations with them is, is, uh, is essential. Yeah. Advocating for yourself. That makes a lot of sense. And that's great that they actually came back and said that. Cause I normally think of like, Oh, needs of the military. They signed me here. I guess I'm going. Well, needs of the army will always take precedence, but especially in medicine, they will consider your input. Um, they do it on the line side. And I, I even know I have a friend of mine, even this year who, what he was considering assignments was being offered some things that, you know, are essentially what he had already done. And he was kind of like, Hey, I was hoping for something a little bit more. And they, they took a step back and they found him something more. So, um, you know, that, that communication piece is absolutely essential. I'll definitely be putting that in my back pocket when it comes time to actually discuss uh, where I go after residency. All right, sir. Well, that wraps up our episode with Dr. Switash today. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. 
Thanks for tuning in.